0: All right, happy Easter, Mercy Church. Yeah, listen. My name is Spence. I'm one of the pastors. I serve as the lead pastor here at Mercy, and we are celebrating. Um, you know, about three and a half years ago, we planted Mercy Church with the hope to see the love of God spread to every person in Charlotte, and from there to the ends of the earth. And there is no bigger day for us, no bigger celebration for us than, of course. Easter Sunday. And so we are celebrating. We uh, just, if you're new with us, we meet in two locations on a typical weekend. We meet on Providence Road as well as over just off of Independence Boulevard. Uh, that is the way God has grown our church, and we're very excited about it and glad that you're here with us if you're newer with us. Uh, listen, today we are celebrating Easter, of course, by celebrating the resurrection of Jesus all morning long. That's going to be our message. That's what we're going to be talking about. Christ is the focus of our faith, and his resurrection means some very, very good and important things for us. In fact, today, we're kicking off a whole new series, a whole new series on what it means to follow Jesus. You see, when Jesus looked at his first disciples, he looked at them and he said, follow me. So we're going to look at that very simple but life-centering call of Jesus to follow him. He still gives us that call today. The call is still just as simple, just as life-centering, follow me. And in fact, we're going to take the next four to five weeks to look at that call and what that means for us today. Y'all, the reason is we live in a world with a whole lot of kind of half-formed opinions about Jesus, right? I mean, you know, some of you maybe grew up in an environment where Jesus is that guy who is mad when you break the rules and he's happy when you keep the rules, all right, maybe that's maybe you um, think of Jesus when he comes into your head. He's kind of a guy that you know has some good inspirational quotes that you know come from the Bible, like "Man, love your neighbor as yourself." And you're like, "Yeah, you know, I want to, I want to do that." That's inspiring to me, or, or maybe it's you know the love of money is the root of evil, and you go, "Yeah, that's right. I can't just love money. Uh, you know, I gotta, it's got to be more to my life than that." Or it, it's something along those lines, and he's kind of an inspirational teacher. Um, maybe you think kind of like um, Cal Norton Jr., right? And you're like, you think of Jesus as the guy wearing the tuxedo t-shirt, you know, because it says he wants to be formal, but, but he likes to party because I like to party and so I want my Jesus to party. You know, people have all different kinds of opinions about Jesus. That's just kind of the reality of the day and age we live in. And because of that, because of that, the real Jesus can be missed entirely. So today, Easter Sunday, we're beginning a recovery of what it means to know and follow the real Jesus. And here's what I'm going to tell you. When you meet the real Jesus, listen, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to love him more than anything else on earth or you are going to hate him with all your heart. That's what happens. Listen, if one of those two emotions is not raging within you, a love, a fierce love and devotion to Jesus and a celebration and joy welling up in your heart or hatred for him, if all he does is bore you or inspire you, you just haven't met the real Jesus yet. The one emotion you will not have when you finally meet the real Jesus is apathy. It won't happen. So my hope today, my hope today, what better hope can we have today on Easter Sunday than encountering the real Jesus? No better time than Easter because we need to be sure that we know who this really was that got up out of the tomb and how we're supposed to relate to him. So we're gonna look at the most famous parable Jesus ever taught. The most famous parable he taught about how we're supposed to relate to him, it's the story of a father and his two children. The younger is gonna be a rule breaker. The older is a rule follower. And he's gonna show us that both, both the older and the younger have misunderstood the father. He's gonna show us that both think They know how the father will respond to their actions, and both are wrong. The younger is going to represent those who don't think they deserve God's love because they're rule breakers. The older is going to represent those that think God owes them love and favor because they have followed all of his rules. And Jesus is going to say to the irreligious rule breaker and to the religious rule follower, both have missed God. And in revealing this, he's going to show us why we need Easter so much, why Jesus needed to to go on the cross, and why, oh, why, it is such good news that he got up out of the grave. So listen, I hope, I actually, I want you to see yourself in this story today. I want you to let yourself go into this story today. Y'all, listen, we are in a metropolitan city inside of the Bible Belt, which means we for sure got a whole lot of younger and older children that are here with us today in the way, of the way this story talks about them, right? We've got um, older who have grown up inside of a religious setting and they left high school or college, whatever, left home and they ran away to the far country and became younger, right? They threw off all those rules from their past and went and became those in the far country. But then we got others who spent a whole lot of time as younger children breaking all the rules and said, you know what? No, I gotta change my ways, and they fix themselves up and try to be really good moral people. And both, Jesus is going to say today, have missed God. Both. So the point, the, the point of Jesus teaching this the way he does is so that you can find yourself here and relate to it. And when you see yourself in it, I want you to lean in and listen to how Jesus calls you back to God. How he says, how he says you should think about God. And then you respond. In fact, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond today a couple of ways. One of those ways is um, through baptism. We have some people that are um, getting baptized today. And because we already had it here and we were planning on doing it, we decided to open that up and say, listen, some of you, um, we're going to give you the chance to be baptized because it is the first step in following Jesus. That's what he calls his true followers to do, is to follow him in baptism. And when you encounter the real Jesus, he calls for your full heart, for your full surrender. And that first step is saying you believe and you do that through um, baptism. Now, listen, some of you need to make that step today. And we'll talk more about that. You've been thinking about it for a while." Others of you had no idea. You didn't come in here planning on anything like that. But listen, we got you completely covered, all right? We have, just so you know, we have every possible product that you need to be able to get baptized, from clothing to toiletries to hair products, you name it. We've got it for you, all right? And we'll get to that later in the service, but I know some of you have been thinking about it, and today is the day, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. We're going to get into it. The parable, often called the parable of the prodigal son, is in Luke 15. So if you have your Bible, make your way over to Luke 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. Um, all of our scripture will be on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible or you don't have easy access to one, listen, we have them available for you in our lobby and would love to give that to you as a gift when you, when you leave today, okay? Listen, this parable in Luke 15, often called the prodigal son, is probably better named the prodigal sons. Because again, both have completely missed the father. And I think you're gonna see yourself a little in both of these. Maybe what you'll see in both is that apathy that they both have towards the Father's love in missing that. And maybe you'll see your apathy comes because you've missed God's love and you've settled for hoping you get some stuff that he might give you. Maybe it's in your rebellion against God. Maybe it's in your conformity to his laws. Maybe whoever you are, I just hope you'll, you'll lean in and hear God's word spoken to you. Here's, here's what I know, guys. What I know is, It is Easter Sunday, God's people are here, God's word is open before us, and Jesus is alive. It's a good morning. It is a good morning. Y'all ready for this? Let's get into it. All right, verse 11. He also said, that's Jesus, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. I want you to see something. We read it so fast, you might miss it. This is an incredibly harsh insult by this younger son. It's a heartbreaking moment for the father. I mean, can you imagine the father hearing the son saying, dad, I want your stuff, but not you. This is the child who says, I hate you, but it's not like just some passionate moment of a 12-year-old or something like that. No, this is like a resolved posture and disposition of this younger son. You see what this is. The son wants the father to die. That's what he's saying. It's a death wish towards the father so that he can have his stuff. But even more amazing than the boldness and audacity of the son to say such a thing is the father's reaction, right? Most most people in Jesus's, Middle Eastern audience listening in on this would have never seen or ever even heard of a father acting this way. The expected response would have been a swift rebuke by the father and maybe even a slap on the face. Yet the father grants the son the wish, which since the father is still alive, means he is actually granting the son his very livelihood. What his wealth, the inheritance would have been in property. He would have to sell it off and and give it away. In fact, the word for property in verse 12 is bios, which means life. And what Jesus wants us to see here and Luke wants us to see is is the father is literally giving away his life for his son that is rebelling against him. And the father takes the humiliation of the son's rebellion on himself instead of taking it out on the younger son. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had He traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. The far country. The far country is the Bible's way of saying he went to Vegas, all right, so that what happened could stay there in Vegas. He went as far from the presence of the Father as he could. And he lived foolishly, right? He bought him some Yeezys, right? He got himself a limited edition camel, right? Not one of those regulars. And he lived it up, lived it up in the far country, Because for some reason, he believed distance from the Father would be what would make him happy. Maybe that resonates with some of y'all. Maybe you have been there before, just believing that distance from the Father, when I'm out away as far as I can get from God, then I'll be able to live my life. I'll do it my way, and then I'll be happy. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed, listen to how bad it got. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. See, the son thought his way would work, but he's in a mess now. He's got nothing so bad off. He wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating. That's destitute. This is a picture. Here's what's happening. Jesus is painting a picture of an individual pursuing self-fulfillment and happiness on his or her own. It starts out great, right? You get out of home, you shake off the confines of the parents, but then somewhere along the line, it doesn't go as you planned, right? Maybe you find yourself in some kind of trouble like an arrest. Maybe you got pregnant, weren't planning on it, something like that. Maybe you got fired for cutting corners at work. Maybe your porn addiction or your affair was discovered. Maybe instead of, of one of those like big moments, it's just a feeling of, of emptiness. Maybe you chased it all. Nothing really bad happened. Maybe you were clever enough to still be covering it up, but you still feel unfulfilled. You feel that sense of emptiness, like, how do I have all of this? And hey, I'm still not happy. This is what happens to star after star in Hollywood, right? I mean, how many times do we have to, to hear it? They discover fame, fortune, and find that all of that still leaves them empty, um, one of my favorite uh, movie stars is Jim Carrey. That guy's got range. I don't care what you say. He's got range, all right? But one of the things that, he, um, that he's often quoted as saying, I think he did it through Twitter once a long time ago, he said, everybody, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. But what is the answer then? The answer is to come home from the far country. The far country cannot satisfy your deepest longings because it's not home. It's not what you were created for. Look at verse 17. When this younger son came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. See, verse 17 and 18, I love them. They're this beautiful expression of what happens when someone begins to to come to God. You finally get honest. You see what's happening here? You finally get honest about your life and you realize your problem is not everybody else. It's not your circumstances. It's not because you just didn't catch a good break. Your problem is that you're homesick. You've been missing God. Your problem is you. And you're finally now realizing, I gotta get back to God. I gotta get back home. So verse 19, he comes up with a strategy, right? Based on how he, this is still the younger son mentality, how he thinks the father will respond to him when he comes back. And based on how he thinks his father's gonna respond to him coming home, here's his strategy. He's gonna say to the father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because of what I've done. So make me like one of your hired workers. See, he thinks... I need to repay the debt that, I've, that my father has incurred because of me, so my plan is to make myself a worker. This was in accordance with the Jewish custom of the day that if you violate the community standards of living, you got to do more than just apologize. You got to make restitution. He's thinking, I've got to repay my father. Let me ask you something real quick. What are your strategies that you have put in place? Maybe they're just in your head, but you've started to Start to act them out a little bit. You may not have said it to anybody. Your strategies that you come up with to make up for your sin, to atone yourself for the sins that you've committed. Maybe you think, well, you know what? It's actually, when I settle down, then I'll give God his due. Right now, I'm kind of getting mine. My time's now, God's time is later. Maybe you you used to think that way. Now you are a little bit older and you're trying to make up for all those things. I see this often with people who get, super involved in church really quickly after, um, after just a long time away from it. Uh, sometimes what's underneath that is a strategy for trying to pay God back. I want you to listen. If that's in any way you trying to come up with God, come up with your own strategies for how you pay God back for your sin, listen to the father's response to the son. The son gets up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him. The father was filled with compassion and he ran, threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. More unexpected, bizarre action from the father. The father ran to the son. This is crazy. Middle Eastern patriarchs do not run, children run, women maybe, not fathers. And, you know, listen, that kind of translates to today. I mean, I want you to think for a second, if you're a grown-up, even a teenager, I want you to think about your father. When is the last time you saw him sprint? (laughs) Like, just just flat-out dash. Like, we don't do grandpa races, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not a pretty sight, right? And especially this guy, because of what he's wearing, he's probably picking up his robes and running. Listen, everybody around Jesus would be shocked at the way the father's humiliating himself. And then it says, the father just embraced him. The son's foul smell, his tattered clothes, the fact that the last time the father saw the son, the son was wishing that he was dead. None of that stops the father. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see what he's doing? He's, he's got to be. The son's got to be startled by what the father is doing, but the son immediately goes into um, the thing that he's been rehearsing, right? His strategy for his payback plan, but the father cuts him off. Verse 22, the father told his servants. He didn't even respond. does not even, even listen to it. He Instead, he, he tells the servants, quick, bring out the best robe." put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sand it on his feet, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. This is no small thing the father is doing. The finest clothing, the ring he's putting on his finger is a way of saying you're mine, that you're being brought back into my family. Put on a feast with a fattened calf, no doubt the most expensive meat they could have. He's putting on a kind of party so elaborate it would be extremely rare. And there's no doubt the whole village, everybody around is gonna be invited. The father wants the son to feel the full joy of coming home, his true home. Y'all in home. I mean, think about it for a second. It's a powerful idea. The son had tried to make a home in a place and in a way he was never meant to. There's no doubt the young man had been to parties in the far country. He'd probably thrown a few but all of those left him empty. Why? Because they weren't home. They were facades. And those facades always left him empty. And y'all, that's us. That's why we always feel empty at the end of the day, apart from God. We were created for God to be our home, for God's love to be the source of our love. And Jesus is looking at his audience and he's saying, leave the far country. Home is what you were created for. And what's the father's exclamation? Verse 24, why are we throwing this party? Why are we celebrating? Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they all began to celebrate. You know, in the two parables in Luke 15 prior to this, Jesus says, every time a sinner repents, that's what this is supposed to picture. And every time a sinner repents and allows God to pick them up and bring them home, heaven, heaven throws an all out celebration. That's what this picture is. It's God and his angels celebrating a sinner's homecoming. So listen to me. Are you the younger son? Have you gone into the far country? See, the message of Easter is that God is calling you back home, back to himself. How do you know that he's running out to meet you? Well, listen, if you're feeling that sense of of emptiness and you want to escape that emptiness, That's the sign that God the Father is already right by your side. None of your strategies for coming to God are going to work. In fact, when you realize that the antidote to being bad is not being good, that's when you're ready for the message of Easter. The message is that our sin incurred a debt just like the younger sons did. We deserved alienation, isolation, and rejection from God our Father because of our sin. The forgiveness the son experiences, it is costly I mean, listen to this. The cost is actually, watch this, it's not just to the father. The cost is actually going to be put most on the older brother, isn't it? Because the older brother was the one who was set to inherit everything from the father. And now the older brother has got to split his inheritance again with the younger son now that he's brought back in. And Jesus wants you to see that he, Christ, is the truer and better older brother. See, our truer elder brother, our older brother, he came into the far country. The one in this parable doesn't. But Jesus says, no, he came into the far country, down from heaven, here to us to seek and save us. He paid the price for our sin on the cross in our place. Jesus was, he was stripped, naked completely of his robe, of his dignity, so that we could be clothed with a dignity and standing as God's children that we don't deserve on the cross Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by God's grace. There was no other way for the heavenly father to bring us in except at the expense of our true older brother. So younger son, how can you be changed today? Listen, you got to be moved. Be moved by the sight and the cost of what God has done for you about what it's cost to bring you home. Jesus Christ, who had all the power in the world, emptied himself of that, went to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could come home. So stop running and let God bring you home today. Let's look at what happens next. It's kind of like act two of this same story, all right? We go to the older son, verse 25. His older son was in the field, And as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Listen, you know you are throwing down when you can hear your party, like way out in the field, you know, upwards maybe even a mile away, some say. Verse 27, the servant says, Your brother's here, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And look at the older brother's response. We're going to go ahead and read it all. He became angry. He became angry. He didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat, so that even a goat, so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't call him his brother, just this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? I wonder if you, like like me, at least at first reading, feel like the son is maybe a little bit justified in his complaint. First time I saw this, that was kind of my reaction. I mean, what has the younger son done to deserve this? He squanders your wealth, you make him a son again? I've never disobeyed you. Look at what the older son's doing. He's referring to his record of good deeds, demanding that the father fix this injustice. Look, some of you are older brothers, I can already tell, because you relate so close to this that it even sounds like something you've said before, right? I mean, look closer here. The older son refuses to go to a party that his father is holding when the father came out to the older son. Then the older son goes and he rebukes the father publicly. I want you to see what's happening. Refusing to go into the party, rebuking the father, he actually has the same lack of respect for the father that the younger son did. Because just like the younger son, he didn't want the father, he wanted the father's stuff. He just had a different strategy for getting it. Neither son in the story loves the father. They use the father as a means to get what they really love. One tries to do it by breaking the rules, the other tries to do it by following the rules. The younger says, I'll chart my own course and I'll enjoy God's gifts without God. I'll go into the far country. The older just says, I'll conform to moral standards so that the father will be forced to give me the stuff I want. And Jesus is saying, neither the older or the younger actually want God. See, it's so easy. It's easy to see the younger son's lostness because he's in a pigsty. It's easy to spot the effects of the younger son's sin, and it still is today, right? The younger son's passions lead to all kinds of visibly destructive consequences. But Jesus wants us to see that the older son's sin is just as destructive. His moral conformity, it leads to self-righteousness, which leads to anger, jealousy, and bitterness. And if you think God owes you something for your performance, what'll happen is you'll start to look down on everybody else, maybe even on whole groups of people. And at the same time, you'll almost always be disappointed in life. You always feel like you're, like you're owed more than you're actually getting. In fact, the, the first sign that you may fall into this older son camp is that when things don't go the way you expect in life, you aren't just sad or sorrowful. You become angry and deeply like bitter. Because older sons believe if you lead a good life, you should get a good life. Are you the older son? You may be a little bit mad at God, maybe a little bit bitter at Him. He hasn't given you what you think you deserve based on what you've done. This is this is for sure me. I spent a lot of time confessing this this week. You know, I found myself saying, "Y'all, listen, just so you know, uh, as pastor of this church, it just reality is I got a thick head." A lot of times the Lord has to just kind of beat a truth over my head a few times before I can let it sink in. I felt like that's what happened this week because I found myself saying, God, like I gave up everything to come and plant a church for you three and a half years ago. Right? I followed you down here. I did that. And I was thinking through a couple of things that I've been asking for, been praying for that just haven't happened. And I found myself going, come on, God. I'm doing my part. Where are you at? I deserve this by now. And God just smacked me upside the head with this passage this week. I'm the older son. There I go. Using God to get what I really want and then throwing a fit when he doesn't give it to me. I'm the older brother. Is that you? Listen, sometimes churches are filled with the older son. Is it hard for you to forgive others? Maybe that's because you don't think you need to be forgiven. Is it hard for you to receive help? from others? Maybe that's because you believe you don't need the help of God. You don't need salvation from God. You'll do it all on your own and earn it. Here's what I will say. You can be in the far country without ever leaving the farm. And that was the older brother. Far from the father, even though he was right next to him. You can be in church for years. Listen to me. You can be in church for years, be around Christianity, and have missed God's love for you entirely. And it's going to be harder for you. See, older son lostness is so hard to to realize because you don't see the symptoms like you do with younger son lostness. Right? I mean, think about it. If you feel symptoms of your sickness, you go to a doctor. But if you're sick and you don't know it because you don't see any outward symptoms, you don't go to the doctor. You just die. Jesus was directing this at the Pharisees, at the religious elites, who thought they knew God, who didn't see any outward visible symptoms of destruction in their life, but had completely missed him. You know why this is going to be so hard for you, older brothers and older sisters? It's because you're going to have to lay down your pride to allow the Father to bring you back in. And you're gonna to have to realize you are just in need of the father's love and forgiveness as the younger son. See, older brothers didn't just have to repent of their sin. They had to repent of the sin that actually was underneath all of their good deeds. The sin of seeking to be their own savior and their own Lord. The sin of trying to control God. See, listen, let me sum this up for you. The younger son misses God because he's too rebellious and unbelieving to surrender to Jesus as Lord. The older son misses God because he's too proud to admit he needs a savior. See the irony? The older brother misses God, not in spite of his goodness, but because of it. He won't go into the father's party because he says, I've never wronged you, never done anything bad, even more irony. The end of the story we're gonna see, the bad one, the bad son, we know he's actually saved. And the good son, behavior-wise, as far as we know, is actually still lost. Doesn't that reverse everything that the world tells us about religion? The elder son was not lost in spite of, excuse me, was lost not in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. Jesus, y'all, he's against sin, but he's also against empty religion. It was the religious elites, the religious people. That's who put Jesus on the cross. But I want you to lean in and listen, older son to what the father says in response, verse 31. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, see him connecting him back? This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Look at the father, again going out, just like he ran to the younger son. He goes out to the older son. And again, he invites the son back in. He doesn't, a second time, just like he did with the younger, he doesn't rebuke him for his rebellion. He extends love again. And he extends it to you today. Jesus says your good deeds will never earn you God's love. This is what this parable is teaching you. What you really need is God. And you can only get God through grace listen to me, Easter Sunday It's what you need to hear. What you really need is God. And you can only get God through grace. You cannot pay back God for the wrongs you've done. Some of y'all have got to stop trying to clean yourself up before you get back to God. Today, you just receive his forgiveness. Receive it. The father is cutting you off as you try to develop your strategies. And he's saying, come home. In fact, he's wrapping his arms around you and bringing you home. You know, look, that's why we're doing baptisms on Easter. I want you to see how this all connects. Watch this. Jesus goes up on the cross and he dies for your sins and mine. Right? Because he says, our sin has incurred a debt. The wages of sin is death. That's Romans six twenty three. All of us, because of our sin, our rejection against God, we've incurred a debt. But on the cross, our debt is paid. But listen to me, without the resurrection, this all remains a really gloomy picture. Christianity is a resurrection religion. Resurrection lies at the heart of it, and if you remove the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. The resurrection is what proves that Jesus is God, that he has the power to actually forgive sin and reconcile us to God. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, none of this matters, none of it. Paul said, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, then we're to be most pitied among all people in the world. And baptism is our way of saying Jesus got up out of the grave. And because he got out of the grave, we share in the promises of his resurrection. That's Romans 6, 4. Just as we are buried with him by baptism, that's us saying as Jesus was put into the grave dead, so we are put underwater in baptism, right? We are buried with him by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that the power of God lifted Christ out of the grave, brought him back to life. So we too that identify with him, that say, yes, I believe Christ went on the cross for my sins. When he gets out of the grave, so we too may walk in newness of life. We are new creations in Christ. Y'all, that's the resurrection we're celebrating today. And I want you to listen. Listen to the promises in scripture, just a few that he gives to the older and younger brother today. First off, the resurrection guarantees freedom from sin. Jesus is saying you can't improve yourself. Don't use Jesus to fix yourself up. No, he's saying your old self is gone. It's staying in the grave. You can have victory over the cycle of sin you keep going through now. The resurrection says you're a new creation. That old self is the one who couldn't get free from that sin. No, you got a new self now. And that new self is joined with Christ, has the spirit of God living in you, and you can be free from that sin. When we put you under the water, that's symbolic of you dying to your old self. And when we bring you up, that is your proclamation that old you is gone, new you is alive under the power of the resurrected Christ. Yes. The resurrection promises God's presence with you. The Gospel of John says before Jesus left, he told them he would rise. He would ascend, and once he did, he would send a helper to be with us, God's spirit. If he didn't rise from the grave, he isn't alive. And if he isn't alive, the spirit of God isn't with us. But friends, we believe he is alive and his spirit is with us. Listen to what that means, younger brother. You don't have to earn God's love. If you believe in what Christ has done for you, the love and the presence of the father are with you. Older brother, you don't deserve God's love but he gives his love and presence to you in Christ. The resurrection is the promise that Emmanuel reigns eternal and God is still with us now. Listen to me. Oh, listen to this promise. The resurrection promises death has been swallowed up in victory. I need to shrink the room for a second. Sometimes I gotta preach to a few and the rest of y'all can listen in. I know some of you have lost loved ones recently. You can tell probably from me that I have. <laughs> we've lost some members in our church too, and, and we've got some that are facing death, maybe this will be your last Easter. So I want you to listen. The resurrection of Jesus promises me that death does not have victory over us. We have victory over death. This is 1 Corinthians 15, death, Where is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we rise up out of those baptism waters, we don't just declare new life. We declare eternal life. And so when we do grieve death, we grieve with hope. And we stand firm with Paul saying, what can separate me from the love of God? Nothing, not suffering, not things present, not things to come, nor life, nor death. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The resurrection changes everything, everything. Younger brother, older brother, younger sister, older sister. Do you see the father's love for you? Do you see it? You see the cross, and do you see the empty tomb? His love for you on the cross, the power to set you free from your sin, the desire, the unyielding, passionate love for God to come for you through the resurrection. He has made the way for you to come home today, and you can come home today. I want to give you a chance to respond. I told you I would. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. Would you bow your head in a a posture of prayer? I'd ask you to really to to pray and and reflect on what I'm about to say to you. I'm gonna guide you through how you respond to God. If this is awkward, uncomfortable for you, of course, we would never ask you to do anything that, that you don't feel compelled to do. But I know there are some of you that know today you need to come home to the Father. It's as simple as this. The the response is to believe. On the morning of his resurrection, news of him getting out of the grave made Peter and John sprint to the tomb. Mary Magdalene falls down in worship at the sight of him. The disciples begin to cry and worship at the news he's alive. And others still hated him. But there was no apathy. And if you're here today, you're the older or the younger, you've been pushing God away. Or maybe you just shrugged your shoulders. All that can change today. Romans 10.9 says, if you profess, profess, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And here's how you respond to that. There to God, you can pray. If you are ready to say, I'm ready to come home, God. You pray this prayer to him. Something like this in your own words. God, I believe that I have run from you. I am a sinner. That was my sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin on the cross, which means I don't have to pay for it. I believe he rose out of the grave, which means he has the power to defeat sin in my life. And my sin is buried forever with him And I'm receiving that new life in Christ. I'm coming home. Now, if that's you, right there, head bowed, eyes closed. Everybody's in this posture of prayer. This is an individual thing. But I know our teams wanna be able to, our pastors wanna be able to pray for you and help guide you. A simple way that you can acknowledge, maybe you just need to do this for for your sake between you and the Lord. But if that's you and you've prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand just there silently in your seat so that our team can pray for you? God, I want to I pray for those that are responding to this message. All of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we respond again and, and say thank you to the Father's love, I pray that you would protect those that are new into the family this morning. And God, I pray that you would give us, we walk out of here with the joy that the resurrection brings us, that you have brought us home. Amen, amen. Okay, here's what I wanna do. I told you, we've got some folks that are planning on getting baptized anyways this morning, and we wanna give you the chance to respond. Christ says, (laughs) When it, and even the early church said it, when people heard the gospel, they said, what was we, we, we do to be saved? The response was, repent and be baptized. Because baptism is the public declaration of what it is that you're believing. And so if that's you, and you've said, I'm coming home, maybe you actually made that commitment a long time ago. You said, you know, I, I'm coming home, and you've been working your way there, but you've never taken that step to to obey Christ, surrender your life, and be baptized as the proclamation of forgiveness of sins, today you can make that step. We've got it available for you. We've got pastors and a couple of our prayer team members who are going to be in the back of the room for you to just go. We're going to start the music in a second. We're going to sing about the king leaving his throne, coming down for us. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. And as we begin to sing, you're going to make your way to the back of the room where people are going to be there. Right, again, our pastors some prayer team leaders to kind of walk you through that decision, okay? If you came with someone, you grab their hand and you say, I need to go, but I'm a little scared, they will go with you. All right, I promise you, they will go with you, walk you through this whole process, and we'll celebrate baptism. Maybe you're, maybe you're not sure what that next step is, and you just need to go and, and make your way back there, and then they'll walk you through what that next step is going to look like. So our team's going to come, and they're going to lead as we sing. And listen, as we begin to sing, right there at the beginning, as, as we start to sing, you make your way, and you go, and you respond to what the Lord is doing. And Christians in the room, the rest of you, worship our risen Savior.